Green divorce, blue divorce, red divorce. No, folks, today we're talking about gray divorce. If you don't know what that is, then you're in the right place because I'm not talking about arts and crafts. Welcome to the Divorce Resource Guy podcast with Jason Lavoie, a.k.a. the Divorce Resource Guy, a former divorce attorney turned divorce coach, talking about all things divorce, including the good, bad, and the ugly from an attorney's point of view. Remember, you're not alone. And now your host, Jason Lavoie. Welcome to another episode of the Divorce Resource Guy podcast. I'm your host, Jason Lavoie, a.k.a. the Divorce Resource Guy. Today, we are talking about gray divorce. Now, if you don't know or never heard what gray divorce is, then boy, are you in the right spot. I have two experts to talk about it with you today. First, Carol Hughes is a PhD, and she holds her doctoral degree in clinical psychology and a master's in counseling psychology. Um, she served for 10 years as associate professor of human services at Saddlebrook, Saddleback College. And in her practice in Laguna Hills, California, she is a California licensed marriage and family therapist and family focused divorce professional for more than 30 years. Bruce Fredenberg also is a California licensed marriage and family therapist for more than 30 years. They actually, I believe they go back to college as uh, how long they know each other. He's board certified in clinical hypnosis. Ooh, that sounds interesting. I've always wanted to do hypnosis. He was a college instructor, uh, instructor in human services at Saddleback College and at the National Medical Review School in Southern California. And he also created and taught parenting classes for adoptive and foster parents. Enough. You can read about their bios in the show notes. Trust me, they are experts. Let's get right to it. I want to introduce to you Carol Hughes and Bruce Fredenberg, and let's talk about what great divorce really is. Carol and Bruce, welcome to the show. I'm so excited to have you on today. Thanks for having us. We're glad to be here. So the first thing that I do for people that may not be uh, too familiar with you guys is have each of you take a couple of minutes. Um, give me a, a brief background about, you know, just who you are and kind of how did you get to this point in your life um, and, and what made you decide to cover gray divorce? How, how about we start with ladies first? Carol. I'm going to let Bruce tell the story because he does it better than I do in this regard. And I think when you hear what he says, you'll understand why. So Bruce. Uh, okay, well, first, my background is that I am a licensed marriage and family therapist in Southern California, have been for a few decades now. And in my practice, uh, as Carol found in her practice, we get a, a number of people who are suffering either because their parents did a divorce badly or they themselves did a divorce badly. And as you know from your background, Jason, that the, the wounds can go on for years. And we found uh, adult children of divorce coming in. Uh, we're feeling that nobody really understood them. They were hearing that, well, it's just one of those things in life you should get by. You know, you're lucky it didn't happen when you were a kid. And it's always amazing to us that the parents who are adults know that they're hurting. Why would they think that their children aren't hurting because they're just because they're adults? And they are stakeholders in their families. Um, divorce. And so Carol wrote a blog article for our practice uh, 
group. It's an association, not more than a you know practice group. It's really a, an association of family law attorneys and financial specialists and therapists. And she wrote about adult children's gray divorce. And a few months later, she got a call from a reporter from the New York Times. And she wanted to interview Carol for an article on gray divorce. And after the article uh, came out in the New York Times, a few months later, uh, being that it is the New York Times, somebody else read it and that somebody else was a literary agent from one of the big literary houses in New York who resonated with the article and asked Carol if she would write a book about it. And Carol said yes, because she does that sort of thing, says yes to opportunities. And we have been friends since graduate school, which is some decades ago. And we have shared office uh, suite together for a long time. So she called me up and said, hey, would you like to write this book with me? And I said, yes, we have a lot of unfinished books in our in our computers that we plan to do together and never imagined this would be the topic that we would actually get out, but it was a great opportunity. I didn't know I was signing on for a four-year venture. It took us four years to research it and write it and, wow. and finally satisfied the editors that it was just what they wanted. And here we are. Here we are indeed. Wow, four years. Yeah, that is, a, that is quite the time uh, when you think about it. Um, yes, to, yes. To book a book out, book out but... Congratulations on staying the course. <laughs> Thanks, Jason. Perseverance is everything. That's what I've learned. Yes. Um, so I think the best way to start this off is pretend we're talking to people who heard the term or are hearing the term gray divorce for the first time. Let's, let's just give a basic definition. What is gray divorce? Okay. So the term gray divorce was coined in 2004 by the American Association of Retired People, which was AARP. And uh, it didn't really catch on back then. Uh, but in 2012, some researchers at Bowling Green State University were studying the US Census regarding divorce. And what they found was that from 1990 to 2010, the divorce rate for people 50 years old and older, all the way up to 65 and older, had doubled. And that caught their attention. While the divorce rates in all the younger generations had been going down during that same time. So this was unique and it piqued their interest. Uh, they continue, and, and at that time they predicted based on their analytics that this uh, phenomenon would continue uh, and it would triple by 2030. Uh, and then in 2015, they went back and researched some more of the more current census in the US and found the same pattern. And so are continuing to predict that it will, the divorce rate will triple for this population 50 years and older by 2030. And some other researchers have uh, lowered the gray divorce population age to 45 and older. So that's what uh, the term gray divorce refers to. And the Bowling Green State University researchers coined the term gray divorce revolution because it really seemed that way to them. So that's the history. Uh, Jason, I'd like to jump in with a couple of things. And that is that it's happening around the world in the developed world. And that in different countries, they have different names for it. It's um, silver splitters in Britain. It's the diamond divorcees in parts of Canada. 
uh, I forget what it is in Australia, but but Carol thinks they, and I do too, we, we chuckle when we hear the Japanese uh, nailed it when they called it retired husband syndrome. <laughs> and just to give you an idea of the size of this phenomena, that just in the United States alone, there are uh, now over 300,000 couples who divorce in this population age 50 and over annually. And as on average, they have one to two children. So that means that somewhere between 900,000 and 1.2 million people enter this demographic every year. And because it's such an unserved and not understood population, the people who are suffering last year over it are still probably suffering now, as were probably the ones the year before. And the ones suffering this year will go through the same traumas at the same time. So you can see it's really a much bigger problem than people would think. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I love how, depending on where you are uh, globally, you know, the different different phrases that they, they're using for this. The, the one thing that came into mind um, when you guys were just going over the phrases was somebody should come up with something having to do with aged wine, you know, like a, like a fine wine or something like that. That's what came to mind. Yeah. <laughs> like Cabernet you, became vinegar. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> that, that, that might be more apropos. Um, so let me ask you the, you know, when we, talk about your prototypical divorce and especially as a divorce attorney, you know, when you're dealing with minor children, you know, parenting time custody issues, those are huge. Um, and, you know, they could have ramifications, you know, irreparable ramifications, depending on how those situations are handled through the divorce when the children are young. When, how do the dynamics change when you are now dealing with adults, right? Still children, and it's amazing to me, um, you know, I'm uh, theoretically an adult and um, they, you know, but when my family gets together, I'm the middle of three brothers. When my family gets together, still to this day, the dynamics that we had as a family growing up still show themselves, you know, uh, depending on the situation, you know, where my younger brother is the baby of the family, my older brother is, uh, well, he's special, but, you know, the dynamics as a, a, it's like they never go away. So when we're talking about gray divorce, how does that change? Like when, with, when you're talking about the adult children? Well, you've done a great analysis already there, Jason. Uh, the, you know, what we know from the research in our field mental health field is that family relationships are forever. They're for a lifetime. So, and those dynamics often don't change either, as you said, Jason. And what we know is that uh, the parent-child relationship remains parent-child because the children are always the parents' children, right? Even if they're adults. And so those dynamics that you're describing, you know, we do see that, that they pretty much remain that way. And what happens with gray divorce often, many, many dynamics that we wrote about in the book is that because the adult children are quote adults, uh, the parents often start to think of them as peers rather than their child. And the adult children report in our clinical work as well as the little bit of research there is that they want their parent not to think of them as peers, they are still their children. 
They don't want to hear about the sexual indiscretions, financial indiscretions. They don't want their parents to be talking with them about dating. Um, it, excuse me, excuse me, advice. They don't want to uh, become their parents' counselor or therapist, uh, right. things like that. And, and we wanted the parents to understand this as well. There's, throughout the book, we have information for the parents and the adult children and to realize that and to honor the parent-child quote relationship. The other dynamics that happen to answer your question further is that adult children, of course, come in different developmental stages. We have the youngest adult children, 18 to 25, 26, who are, you know, emerging adults, they're called in our field. And, you know, they're in college, they're in train, training school, trade schools. Sometimes they're, you know, started their own companies, they're, you know, working wherever. Uh, and many times are still financially dependent on their parents. And so often with divorce, that finance, that the ability for their parents to be able to help them financially goes away because of, you know, the cost of divorce, et cetera. Uh, so some of them have to drop out of their training uh, because of what I was just saying. The middle-aged uh, adult children, 26, 7 to 42, 3, 4 in there, are more established. Some of them already have, you know, their own family, their children, uh, and their parents are older, of course, because the children are older, typically, and um, they feel like they have to sometimes support their parents, help them, you know, financially, even emotionally, and they report to how difficult it is to be, have their own families that they're worrying about, focusing on their work, life, their own marriage, or long-term relationships, and report how stressful this is, feeling like they need to be worried about their parents as well. Maybe the parents are infirm or gullible to, you know, um, people that want to take their money. And then the final stage of adulthood is, you know, 45-ish on up through, you know, death. Uh, and those often, their parents are even more infirm. Uh, and so there's, you know, all the health issues that might be coming along that the adult children feel they need to help their parents with. So they're sandwiched, so to speak, in between uh, if they have their own families and their parents going through divorce, uh, feeling stretched pretty thin. And this would be very different from what the minor children feel, of course, and experience. Yeah, that, that, that's a great point. And because as an adult, and depending where you are in life, if you're independent and you're supporting yourself, um, then you almost feel it's another obligation to maybe right. now support your parents. And then that right. you, you're, you're also put in a, I guess, a difficult spot, you know, uh, depending on the, the dynamics about, you know, choosing a side, right. And yes. then how that plays out. The, um, mm -hmm. now I, I'm just curious in your research on the topic, has there, has anything stuck out to either of you as far as a, like a consistent or predominant, you know, theme as to why people later on in life choose to get divorced? You know, what, what if anything happened then that was the catalyst that apparently wasn't the catalyst earlier on in life? And you hear a lot about, you know, oh, we stayed together for the children, but I don't know. I, I feel like that doesn't really ring so true because, you know, once the children are adults and stuff, 
you know, they're still married. And I'm talking about people who are getting divorced, you know, in their, you know, 50s, 60s, or even later. Um, so did you come across any like consistent themes regarding that? That's a good question, Jason. And I'll share with you um, what we've uh, found and observed. And then also uh, later on, there's even more affects that happen or effects that happen to the adult children. And, you know, that people don't even think about. And, and that's one of the big problems is it, it's, it becomes so intrusive and disrupting their lives and for them to be treated as if they, they have no standing or, or they shouldn't worry about it. But back to your question, there's a variety of um, circumstances and developments that have contributed to this. Um, a lot of times, well, some people, when they get married, they weren't really that good a match in the first place. Right. But they, start, they had kids. Or, um, and so, or they, they, you know, they started their careers. And so they put a lot of their time into raising their kids and, and their careers and didn't really notice that they were starting to uh, live parallel lives. And that could even happen if they were a, a good match, but don't put time into nurturing the relationship because uh, the, the researcher that uh, Washington University in Seattle University of Washington, the Gottmans, found that if people don't balance every negative interaction with five positive interactions, their bonds start to unravel. And in a relationship like a marriage, you really want to shoot for six or seven. So that means that even a, a bad thought about the other person, if, if you do it enough, you, when they're not around, you don't think of them with a longing, you think of them with a wince. And if that happens enough, and it's amazing that it's that five to one, a lot of people say, well, we got along most of the time, well, 80%, that's even more than most of the time, but it's only four to one. And this was uh, validated by uh, graduate students trying to come up with variables that could predict who is going to divorce. And that's the only one they could quantify. And then that relationship with, uh, with uh, the real world was also validated with functional MRIs and how people feel about each other over time. So with that going on, if they're not feeding the relationship, Couples still always have to take out time for family business discussions. And the subject is almost never, honey, what are we going to do with all this money? <laughs> it's usually, yeah, something else. Like, I really needed a new car this year, but the kids need braces and I love the kids. And I'm, that's my choice. I really want to give them braces, but it's still a little unpleasant that I don't get the new car or we don't get a vacation or whatever's going on. So that builds up negative things. The other thing is that... Um, since the, I guess the late 60s, early 1970s, the second wave of feminism started, uh, you know, we've really erupted. And since that time, um, many more women have been in the workplace and not just in low paid jobs, although many are stuck there, but there's also a lot of people who are, have good incomes, maybe better than their husbands. And because we're living more actively longer. I don't know if in actual years, you know, because a lot of those demographics, life expectancy, take into account infant mortality, but still people are healthier longer. So somebody, the kids are gone and they're, they're looking at each other and maybe thinking, uh, I don't really know this person. I, I'm not sure I even like this person now or, or uh, you know, the idea of staying with them for the next 20 or 30 years that I have left, that's just unbearable. I want some happiness in my life. Right. And so that contributes to it along with the economics. And then there was a survey taken in, I think it was about 2014, 
And it's, you know, 2001, 45% of Americans considered device morally acceptable. But by 2014, it had risen to 69%, and it's even likely higher now. So right. some of the stigma was taken away. So when you put all those things together and add to it that women are the ones who initiate most of these divorces, you kind of get a picture. Yeah, absolutely. And there's, you know, we've all heard the saying life is, uh, life is short, right? But I, I always like to say reverse it a little bit when we're talking about, you know, divorce and, you know, being happy and, and everybody I think deserves to be happy. But if you're with the wrong person, or you're, you're in a toxic relationship, life can be really long. And, you know, if, if you're 65 years old, and like you said, Bruce, you know, everybody's living longer these days. Um, you still got a lot of, hopefully a, a lot of road to travel, you know, right. You deserve to be happy. So why not then? Yes. But all right. You know, that, that, that's, that's excellent. I'm glad I asked that question. I'm glad you, you, you gave me your spin on it because uh, it always just, when I think about it, you know, I, I, I think to myself, you know, I understand when, when people are younger and they're getting divorced and they know it's not going to work and they, they want to be in a better situation for, for not only themselves, but their children. But then when you're later on in life, you know, you've made it that far. Why now? But I think we, I think you kind of, you went over it really well. So thank you for that. Now let's talk about the book. You guys wrote home will never be the same again, a guide for adult children of great divorce. What, what would you say, um, now it's in the title, but I guess you primarily wrote this um, for the children as opposed to the parents getting divorced. Is that would that be fair? Uh, yes and no. <laughs> uh, what we wove through all of the chapters was education for the parents as well, because they're the children of somebody as well, right? And maybe their their parents divorced, and so we're try we tried to explain the relationship issue throughout, that these relationships, as I said earlier, are primal, they last for a lifetime. Uh, so, but yes, mainly we wrote the book because we wanted adult children to be heard and know that they aren't invisible and that what they're feeling and experiencing is valid. And the feedback we've gotten from many, 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 many adult children not just in the U.S. and Canada, but Europe, people have written us uh, and saying this is the first time since this happened and my parents divorced five years ago or seven years ago, the first time that I feel heard and seen. Right. And so that's what we, that was the thrust and for, and for our culture to also realize the losses that these adult children are experiencing so they don't feel invisible. That's another word that they use, that they feel invisible. Like there's something wrong with them for what they're feeling and saying that they're experiencing. And you know, you mentioned something earlier, Jason, I wanted to comment on about the difference between divorce for minor children and adult children. We aren't saying that minor children don't go through a lot of trauma when their parents divorce, because many of them do. We work with minor children as well in our practices. Another difference, however, for the adult children is that they've been in these families much longer mm -hmm. than the minor children have. And what we know is that the relationships that we have in life, 
from family to work, you know, peers, they help us define who we are, our identity. And so the longer these children have been in this family, how, however the family was, you know, family dynamics were, their identity is more tied up in the familial relationships and, you know, the parents' marriage and all, how they looked to the community and so forth, you know, their church places of worship and we could go on and on. So, and the familial extended family relationships. So when the family breaks apart, the parents break apart, it's often adult children report that they believe it's more painful for them and has a bigger effect on them than if their parents had done this when they were five or 10 because they hadn't been in the family long enough. And that's another dynamic that our culture completely ignores is that because they've been around this family for so long, the losses can be decades. They could be 30, 40, 50, even 60 year old adult children whose parents are going through divorce. It, so right. that's it, significant. It just compounds as you age. Yes. Right. Yes. Like interest yes. on the bank account, <laughs> but, yes, but, exactly. but, but not in a good way, like interest, right. but, uh, you know, it, it's funny as I'm listening to you and it resonates and it makes perfect sense. It, I can't help but think, you know, as a minor child going through a divorce, they experience their own form of, of trauma. Right. But they, yes. depending on their age, a, maybe not, may not be able to articulate what they're feeling, um, you know, and, and think about it on an intellectual level, you know, that an adult does, but that could be good and bad. And because when you're an adult and you are, you know, theoretically more, you know, you're more developed and, and hopefully you're smarter than when you were, you know, a teenager or even younger, that could, that could, like you were describing though, cause even more trauma, or I would say different trauma um, as an adult. The point, I guess my point is that whether you're an adult or a, a minor, you going through a divorce, uh, especially if it's a nasty divorce um, with your parents is traumatic, right? Yes, yes. It is for all ages. That's another yeah. way to say it. And so let's not ignore the adult children. There's tons of research and writing and help for the minor children. Uh, but this is really an unserved population, these adult children. One of our colleagues, a family law attorney, told us a couple of weeks ago that she had uh, a 92-year-old man come into her office wanting to, information about divorce. And he was concerned about his 60-something-year-old 60 children and how it would affect them. <laughs> so wow. it can happen at all ages. Yeah, that and when you think about that, right, ninety something. Mm -hmm. um, <laughs> so you made it. You made it this far. <laughs> yeah, right. right. <laughs> um, that yeah, that, that that that's something. But I can understand it, right? Because the, the 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 dynamics, the family dynamics, they don't go away. Now, right. for the children, um, adult children, you know, who are dealing with a great divorce, what what would you say are the top three? tips that you would have for them regarding how to best cope with it. Did I put you on the spot? Yeah, it's okay. I, <laughs> I believed in myself uh, earlier, so I wouldn't interrupt Carol. Um, but 
That's a great question. And we, when we structured this book, the way we, we did it was we first wanted to provide validation for the adult children going through this and to make people aware of the problem. Because as you noted at the beginning, um, you know, most people don't really think about it at all. And, 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 and it, it is traumatic, no matter your age. And then at the same time, after that, we needed to uh, give information to and validation to the adult children as to you know what they're feeling and why they're feeling and why there's nothing wrong with them for feeling that. But we also wanted to put information that would be important for the parents to know who are, who are divorcing, because at the end of the day, if people really um, break their most important relationships going forward, that's really what they're going to remember in their life is losing their relationship with some of their adult children. And that can, that can happen. And the father's uh, relationship is actually the one that's most at risk, but the mothers are too. And so some of the biggest things that the, happen to the adult children that make it harder for the family to heal is when they get um, sucked into or jump right into taking sides and you know defining yeah. heroes and villains. And the, the thing is that the relationship the parents have with each other is different than the relationship they have with their, each of their children. And so it's really valuable if the parents do everything they can to spare the children taking sides, even going to their own siblings, who are the aunts and the uncles and maybe grandparents of the adult children, and letting them know that they don't want their children to have to take sides. And so they don't want that part of the family uh, inviting the children, who adults or not, into bashing the other parent conversations because then it makes it much harder to heal later on. Um, also, when somebody becomes dependent on their child, it's different if they're infirm and it's different if it's a temporary situation. But if they're relatively healthy and functioning and they're still using their child as their main support person, uh, that can put a tremendous burden and 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 create problems where they, the adult child may feel trapped or it may be interfering with their own nuclear family so much that now they're having trouble with their spouse and their children. So we tell people, you know, if you need to talk about these things, either talk to your best friend or even better, talk to a therapist. I think one of your recent podcasts was uh, a good therapist is worth their weight in gold. And they are because it, you know, our lives are, we really experience our lives emotionally. Life is an emotional experience, not an intellectual experience. And you can demonstrate that, demonstrate that if, if I play a song that reminds you of being 15 or 16 years old, your first thought isn't going to be conjugating French verbs or, or algebra problems. It's going to be how you <laughs> felt about yourself. So right. If the parents aren't proactive or the children aren't aware of the danger of jumping in and taking sides, it can really create losses, almost irreparable harm for the family going forward. And then there are the parents who, instead of seeking professional help, if they can't get over their own, their own pain, refuse to show up for family celebrations. Uh, the, somebody's uh, graduating or somebody's getting married or some grandkid they're having a birthday. And, well, I'm not going to come if he or she's going to be there. Right. And so they take the spotlight off of the person being honored and they put it on themselves. And these family celebrations become family traumas. And so the, the other spouse, it's not their parents. They may just say, 
we're out of here. We're not even going to deal with this anymore. You know, if they can't get their act together, I'm not going to let them damage our kids or too much, you know, time and money going out to them. And, and it, it isn't, you know, that there aren't situations when it's reasonable for people to contribute and help their, their parent. But, but if they're constantly going to be intruding, uh, they have to be aware that that could be real dangerous for the whole family later on emotionally. And Carol, I'm sure I'm leaving out some things, so maybe you have something to add. Well, I was just going to summarize it a little bit because uh, Jason asked for three tips that we would give the adult children. So one is to know that what you're feeling is valid and that you might need time away from your parents to process what you're feeling and experiencing. And as you mentioned, Bruce, work with a therapist or a clergy person or even a best friend, if that's helpful. Um, two, it's really important that adult children realize that they can set boundaries. Um, if, as you were saying, Bruce, don't be drawn into, you know, bashing each parent. Don't be drawn into being your parent's counselor. Um, and figure out, and you might need help with this professional help, what's, what's healthy for you and what's healthy for your parent. And they may not be the same thing. And you need to take care of yourself first, unless your parents infirm, as we mentioned earlier. And uh, to take time for healing, know that there is healing. Um, the research, the little bit that there is out there, shows that even if adult children become estranged from their parents, from anger or pain, most within five or 10 years, that's the majority, if they were really estranged, not connected at all, reach out to their parents and do heal that relationship. So know if you're an adult child that you can, if your parents aren't informed about what we've been talking about, you can inform them and invite them to go with you to a clergy person or a therapist to help uh, work through what you're feeling if they're not understanding what you're feeling. That's excellent, excellent advice. You know, and as we wrap up, um, and I feel like I could talk about this, you know, for hours, but maybe we'll have you on again when you write your second book. No. <laughs> That'd be great. Eight, another four years later. No, 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 I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> but um, I guess my last question for you guys today is in your experience and your research um, on gray divorces, do you find that uh, the majority of, of these divorces now, are they contested situations, you know, nasty divorces, or because everybody's older, um, you know, it's more amicable and, you know, they just want to get divorced and move on. What's, what's your experience? Boy, that is a great question. And we wish it was the, uh, you know, the, the your suggestion that they're going to be calmer was the norm. But unfortunately, it's uh, combat divorces, we refer to litigation is still the norm for most people. Wow. And we counsel people that you know, once somebody's decided to divorce, and, and, and we're not advocating divorce, and our preference when we're working with couples, is we can help them save the marriage, then that would be good for them and if they if they we can't and um, you know and, and we keep a firewall in our practices we don't turn our couples counseling clients into divorce clients later on they're one or the other but if somebody does decide to divorce the next most important decision they're going to make is what process to take and instead of a combat divorce where it just becomes scorched earth and, and lots of pain we work in 
non-adversarial processes such as collaborative divorce or mediation. Right. And so if people go through a process that minimizes the conflict, doesn't eliminate it, but it minimizes it. And where there are people dedicated to helping improve the communication, because usually the communication ha has really suffered if they're deciding to divorce, then there's a much better chance that they can spare their, themselves and the entire rest of their family, the family civil wars that result from uh, those battles and all that infighting. And I, Carol, I, think I wanted to add that even though combat divorce is a term that a lot of people use to refer to litigation, certainly not all attorneys who litigate have that, litigate have that philosophy. Many are very family focused and very settlement focused and are what we, what their old term was called counselors at law and really do help their clients to see more peaceful ways of dealing with the divorce, even though it's still in the divorces in the court system. So I wanted to add that. Yeah. And I'm glad you said that. Um, I'm glad you said that because that was my approach when I was a practicing divorce attorney. Um, you know, I, I would rather when I had new clients come in, um, you know, to meet with me about possibly, you know, filing for divorce, I would really explore, have all avenues of reconciliation been explored? Mm -hmm. You know, is there any interest mm -hmm. in that? Because I'd rather, even as it's funny, as a divorce attorney, I'd rather see the marriage work um, right. than, than not. Maybe that's why I got out of the field. <laughs> yeah, maybe. And, and, maybe. <laughs> and we also recognize that, you know, there are cases where some people just are not uh, amenable to um, peaceful divorce. Either be, you know, there's, there's just some people that, um, refuse to govern themselves and sometimes have to be governed by a, you know, a stronger authority like a court. Absolutely. If they're, if they're you know, busy liquidating uh, family assets or, uh, you know, not cooperating, not, not providing any of the necessary information, uh, it's really hard to negotiate with somebody who is just, you know, is determined to be at war with you. But, but you know, our preferences, and we think most people would do better in the non-adversarial uh, process. And, and we hear from the attorneys we work with, you know, the, the good ones that, like you were that did have a heart and do try to make it work for people that they can get worn out by the, the litigation process themselves. Yeah, well, you know what they say, you can't negotiate with a terrorist. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so I, I, I think we should end on that note. <laughs> <laughs> but, but tell tell everybody where they could get your book. Sure. So, of course, the book is available on Amazon in a hardback, which is how the publisher Roman and Littlefield uh, publishes first. It's also available on Amazon via Kindle and also Audible for, you know, uh, it's listed right there on the Amazon page. And then uh, the publisher is Roman, R-O-W-M-A-N and Littlefield, and it's available on their website via um, hardback and ebook if people prefer an ebook. And then of course at bookstores all over Barnes Noble and all of their online um, sites as well. Yeah, and it's- And libraries, it, public libraries and university libraries. You can't forget that, of course. Mm -hmm. And, and it, it's a great book. Go out and check it out if uh, you are uh, somebody who finds yourself in uh, the middle of a a great divorce or maybe something's coming up on the horizon. And I think this is a great book uh, for parents, right? The parents yes. who are getting divorced, 
yes. to use as a resource, both of them, right? Uh, yes. More, education yes. doesn't help. I mean, it doesn't hurt. It doesn't uh, hurt. That's for sure. And, yes. and, and your minor children will be adult children before too long. As some minor, some parents with minor children told us they've read the book and it really helped them have a longer perspective uh, and be more amicable with each other. So we're glad yes. for that as well. Yes. No, thank you for writing it. Um, and it's definitely going to be a beneficial a resource for people who find themselves in that situation. So Bruce and Carol, thank you so much for being on the show. Uh, and I know everybody got a lot of good information out of it. Thanks, Jason. Thanks for having us. All right, there you have it. Another one in the books. I hope you enjoyed that. I hope you learned something in case you were not familiar with what gray divorce is. Um, I'll be honest with you, up until a few months ago, I didn't know. Uh, and I'm a former divorce attorney who's now a divorce coach. But the term gray divorce... Um, wasn't thrown around a lot and until recently and then you heard about the Bill Gates uh, divorce and that made a big to-do in the media world and so there you have it but I want you if you are looking for personal help with your divorce then please reach out you can reach me Jason Lavoy, uh, Jason at JasonLavoy.com or my website JasonLavoy.com and uh, you can learn about how I can help you I do group and personal one-on-one coaching to help you with all phases of divorce. In the meantime, all I'm going to ask you to do is be strong, act confident, and stay positive. I'm Jason Lavoy, aka the Divorce Resource Guy, and I'll be seeing you real soon.